0: On this episode, we look at Austria's two Euro 2024 qualifiers with Belgium and Sweden as they edged closer to a potential place at the party in Germany next summer. Hello and welcome to the Other Bundesliga podcast. My name is Tom Midler and I'm joined at the end of this long and very lovely football season by Simon Clark in the virtual studio. Si, how are you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm awesome, mate. A little bit tired after last night's festivities. <laughs> so um, me and Tom were in a pub after the game until about two in the morning. <laughs> Appropriately called
0: delirium after a good Austria result. I thought that, exactly. was, that was fitting. Yeah,
1: so we, we, we enjoyed a, a few drinks who toast Austria's success. And uh, yeah, definitely feeling a little bit worse worse for wear this afternoon, but it's okay. I'm happy the football season has finished.
0: We've got a couple of Euro qualifiers to look back on today. Later on, we'll add in our thoughts recorded live from the Ernst stadion right after Austria v Sweden. But it's not only that game. Um, we've actually enjoyed a few football matches together lately, haven't we, in this sunny, uh, summery Viennese weather. Last Sunday, it was Simmeringer St in the fourth tier in the Wiener Stadtliga. I enjoyed that. The ground was uh, not quite what I expected, but you love hopping to these new grounds, don't you?
1: Was it a new one for you or just new for me? Simmering was actually my 50th ground in Austria, which is cool. And it's quite a, a famous old ground. Uh, it's actually where the Austria team of the 1930s played. So at the time, this is before the Ernst Happel was was a thing, and they played at either Hoavata or Simmering. Of course, the Simmering stadium that we saw isn't quite the 40,000-seat arena that they had in the 1920s and 30s. But regardless, it's a club of a lot of history. And it's been on my bucket list for a while, and finally we, we we ticked it off. And it was a beautiful day, just having a few drinks in the sun. It was it was a lot of fun actually.
0: Yeah, watching the game under the trees, uh, really nice. Fifty grounds in Austria, though that's uh, that's a very good effort.
1: Yeah, it's quite an achievement. I've seen some some very beautiful grounds and some grounds that that you know aren't so beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a lot of fun along the way. It's not one of the most
0: beautiful, is it? Simmering at SC, but it's special in its own way. The game as well was was very uh, lower league, I suppose. When you see the reserve goalie, like, what did he he had to like jump up onto a a porter cabin behind the goal that was behind us? He had to like hoist himself up onto a porter cabin to retrieve a ball which has hit the apartment block next to the stand and like bounced back onto the top of the building site porter cabin. So that was pretty yeah pretty tin pot, I suppose. But but we love that kind of thing.
1: And the fact. On on the back of his shirt, he had 69, which is very, very uh, low league as well. So I think that's a funny thing to do, you know, maybe the reserve goalie with 69 on your back, but yeah. Or can you say?
0: What a guy! Yeah, cool club though, a nice trophy cabinet and everything. So we went from, I guess, uh, inadvertently the historical forebears of the national stadium to uh, to another old national stadium at the end of the week for uh, Austria against Sweden. Big debates on whether Austria should be getting a new national stadium at some point in the future. But before we talk about that, we went to the long hall on Saturday. We piled in there to get some cold beers and watch Belgium against Austria. What were your sort of hopes and expectations before that from the game in Brussels?
1: Before we talk about the match, just to say that we were watching that football match in a very surreal atmosphere because on Saturday was the Vienna Pride Festival. So the long hall was full of people who'd been celebrating all day, people who had been drinking a lot. So we were sat there in the corner watching the game in this feverish atmosphere, people having a great time. So it was, it was quite a fun, a fun experience.
0: It was lovely. We were having a great time too. We had the the neon bands and the the pink shirts and everything. It was, uh, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. Ready to go. But yeah, my expectations prior, prior to the match was, you know, I, f- I think a draw would, would have been my hope. But obviously, Belgium are the team that are ranked number four in the world. They have been ranked number one in the world for many, many, many years. A team full of world-class players. So heading into that contest, you're looking, I mean, a draw would be an excellent achievement. But frankly, I wasn't hoping, I I didn't think it was possible.
0: Really? Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I was definitely just hoping a point, you know, it's definitely a result that, that I was aiming for. You just said four points from these two games would be exactly what Austria are looking for. And, uh, they started well, you know, I know this Belgium world, number one ranking, and perhaps even the number four is a little bit exaggerated in a sense, but nonetheless, they are. Uh, a very good team and they, they still are a very good team with Domenico Tedesco and even though they've lost quite a few of the sort of golden generation or they're getting older or starting to leave and there was no De Bruyne and stuff, they still have a lot of good quality in the, uh, in the game. So it was a very pleasant surprise when Austria came out and played quite combative football and
1: eventually even took the lead. It was a slightly fortuitous goal as well. Austria took the lead, surprisingly, in the 21st minute of the contest. There was a, a cross that, that fell to Mikhail gregorich It was a volley. It wasn't a strong volley, but it was on target. And it ended up getting a, a quite heavy deflection from a Belgian defender. And yeah, it ended up in the in the back of the net. And much to our surprise, Austria were, were won the lap.
0: Yeah, big celebrations at the long haul for that. Not just us as well. Quite a few people, uh, whether they were celebrating pride or not, there were lots of people who'd uh, got engrossed in the match when the, uh, you know, the big screen came down and the game came on. It was Mangala, the Belgian defender, who got the final touch. He sort of tried to do one of those flicks where he sort of lifted his lower leg up sort of behind him to try and get a touch and ended up just knocking the ball with his studs, I guess, um, onto the, well, into the back of the net and passed um, Courtois in the Belgian goal. It went down i think in the end as an official uh, mangala own goal which i was surprised about i thought the rule was that if the shot was on target then it counts as a goal anyway because it was just a deflection really from mangala
1: yeah, yeah it's slightly confusing because if you look on on some websites it's a gregorich goal and other websites have his own goal it's kind of like i think uh, i mean well what you say i guess is final but i think i think if you're mikhail gregorich you know you could you could probably claim that goal it was on target at least.
0: Yeah, he could use it. I mean, the keeper was right behind it. So he I guess use I it. don't know whether they... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you'll take an international goal, won't you, in a yeah. in a competitive qualifier. But I don't know if they've changed the ruling or if there's something like if, if they can make a judgment to say, yeah, the keeper would have had it covered. Because I don't know how you can argue that. I mean, yes, in this case, it was pretty clear that Courtois was right behind it. But um, yeah, Courtois has already sort of gone down to, to gather it and the defender just uh, knocked it past him still uh, very happy for that austria going 1-0 up but um belgium turned on the quality a little bit after the break didn't they they weren't a bad belgium side in this game it's not that uh, it's not that they completely failed to perform it's just that austria did pretty well and perhaps were a little fortunate to to go 1-0 up and made the most of their chance
1: when austria scored in that first half it definitely felt against the runner play slightly but in the second half belgium were showing the, the, their, their true quality, and yeah, it was only a matter of time until they they equalised. And Romelu Re- 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 Lukaku, Le- 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 who had actually missed a chance earlier in the contest, which you know, he should have scored. I mean, you know, there's uh, in recent weeks Lukaku Le- has missed a lot of chances, but um, yeah, he took his chance in the 61st minute of this game. Yeah, and uh, and L- equalised,
0: turned and fired in really well, powerful low shot from uh, from Lukaku. Le- I worried for Austria at that point, but I guess that's the benefit of when you score a goal like that, even if it's perhaps a little against the run of play. And it wasn't completely undeserved from Austria, but you could easily have seen this game play out with Austria being at nil-nil at that point, And then Lukaku's goal presumably would have been the winner in a narrow Belgium win. So, you know, Austria had their goal and at 1-1, they didn't sit back either. Posh had a good, strong shot across the penalty area from the right-hand side. That needed a decent save from fantastic
1: Courtois. fantastic save from
0: Courtois. Yeah. And, and, you know, there were still three Austrian players in the box there who could have got that loose ball. It was a bit of pinball in the box after it came off Courtois' glove um, and just unfortunately didn't fall to an Austria player. So, you know, on another day, Austria could have ended up with a couple of goals and they could have won it. But, you know, I do say that knowing that on another day, they might not have scored at all. So it's, uh, yeah, something we'll have to take. But it would have been cruel then right at the end, wouldn't it? Uh, four minutes into the three added minutes, Belgium came very, very close to a winner.
1: Yeah, they really did. It was a shot from from outside the area. Juri Tillemans hit the crossbar. <laughs> it was a, a shot, like a, a very surprise shot. I think even Alexander Schlager in in the Austria goal, who had, you know, over really this international break, two fantastic performances, you have to say. And yeah, it would have been so unlucky for Austria if, if, if that, that goal had, had gone in. But thankfully, the crossbar was was there to save us.
0: Yeah, time sort of slowed down for me in the pub. When you see that, Tielemans on the left, you know, on the right corner, sorry, of the penalty area, hits it with his left foot, curls it around. You see the ball just go up and start to dip. You see all the defenders just sort of almost crouch down and watch yeah. it go over their heads. Uh, Schlager watching it go up towards the top corner and then he's rooted to the spot. He's not going to get there and the ball starts to dip and you think, uh-oh, uh-oh. I was I was a bit worried at that point. It really was uh, four minutes into to three added minutes, but luckily it crashed off the bar. Belgium continued for a couple of uh, a couple of seconds after that, trying to force it in. But uh, that was the very end of the game. It was it would have been a, a winner at the death from Tedesco, but it didn't happen for Belgium. So a point safely gathered for Austria away in Brussels, uh, a really brilliant result to hang on to. But Belgium had some issues afterwards. Uh, Courtois apparently having a, a falling out with Tedesco and Courtois didn't make it. He said he had a knee problem, but didn't make it to their second game. And lots of people are a bit suspicious as to whether he really did have a knee problem or it was more of a, a kind of ego problem for not getting the captain's armband.
1: It's quite surprising when, you know, obviously Kevin De Bruyne is the Belgian captain and Romelu Lukaku became captain in his place. I mean, it's Lukaku's is his country's record goal scorer. For me, if you're the goalie, it doesn't really matter too much. So for him to, yeah, to not playing the second Belgian game because of that is uh, yeah quite ridiculous really, but um yeah i have just gonna have to say about the uh, the fact Austria got a draw is incredible really because in European Championship qualifying stretching back to 2015 Belgium had won 15 successive qualifiers, so Austria were the first team since 2015 to uh, to to pick up any result against Belgium in the European Championship qualifiers. So yeah, a really fantastic result.
0: I didn't know that. That makes it even better. Yep. That's absolutely brilliant. And of course, next step after that, with the point that we certainly had hoped for, you know, the, the, ideal result, well, of course, not the ideal result, that would be a win, wouldn't it? It's football three points would be the ideal result. But when you're traveling away to Belgium, who, as you said, won 15 in a row. Um, I think a point is definitely a result worth celebrating and it just put in a, a kind of a banker, didn't it? To take into the home game against Sweden. Obviously different expectation levels, different kind of excitement around the home game. But um, it, it gave Austria a foundation and they more than built on that. And here are our thoughts from that game from just after the final whistle. out, Ernst Havelstadion has uh, begun to empty. The fans clad in red and white are making their way out of the stadium. David Alaba has just walked down the tunnel. The players have just finished their victory lap. And it is a victorious, celebratory atmosphere because Austria have won against Sweden by two goals to nil on what promised to be a pretty entertaining night of international football in Vienna. And uh, it delivered eventually on that promise with two late goals. Uh, Simon, did you enjoy that one? I know you're one for for a good sold-out game and, a, <laughs> and you know a good atmosphere. We all are, aren't we? Um,
1: yeah, so I have to say that uh, the, the pre-match, there definitely was a feel-good factor around the stadium heading into the match, and uh, I think that, that continued on the pitch as well. I think I think Austria. Uh, it was a it was a quiet first half. Uh, Sweden had a couple of chances, and uh, Alexander Schlager made made a couple of excellent saves. But really, Sweden they didn't threaten the majority of the, of the game. and uh, and Austria were brilliant. They were genuinely brilliant.
0: Yeah, I think you're right to say it was a fairly quiet first half. Austria came out of the blocks flying, which was nice to see, obviously roared on by a completely sold out crowd, which doesn't happen here that often. Last time in my memory was against France last year, but that was just the draw of such a a big opponent uh, that that sold out the Apple on that occasion. But tonight it sold out because it's simply a massive game. You know, beating Sweden would have left Austria in a very, very healthy position for now at the top of their group. Obviously, they did manage to do that. As I said, they started well the first couple of minutes, then it was quiet. You're right, Schlager made a couple of good saves. He's sort of been picked for the number one spot in the Austria goal for this international window. and He's not exactly blotted his copybook, so he's done well as the number one in goal. Uh, Was uh, excellent when called upon, made a couple of good stops, and then the last five minutes or so, there was quite a bit of stoppage time at the end of the first half, and Austria absolutely started to dominate in that period, didn't they?
1: Austria really put, put, put the pressure on. And this, I think that the the tale of the match really was the Swedish goalkeeper, Robin Olsen. And he made he, he made three saves, for final one which was offside, but, uh, but all three saves were genuinely sensational. And it really became uh, the Austrian national team against Robin Olsen for, for the rest of the game. And um, and the, the, those three saves at the, at the back end of the half really set Austria forward heading into the second half and then for a fact that they were on top and they knew how, how, how to get beyond Frankly, a pretty weak Swedish
0: defence, really. Yeah, Posh and Adamu came off at half-time for Werber and uh, Marco Arnautovic, who got a rousing reception when he came on. And Posh probably came off because he was cautioned in the first half. What were your thoughts on that? That was one of the few times, really, that Sweden looked to break and actually get in behind the Austria defence. Posh involved in a tangle at the back. Uh, Sweden, who... were. not exactly uh, using gamesmanship, so to say, but but something in that direction all night. They were very, very uh, insistent that the referee should give Posh a red card for that. What did you make of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was a, a pretty rash tackle. Um, you know, at the area of the pitch as well, you probably have seen referees in the past give that as a red card. But uh, for me, it wasn't. There was enough players around him to warrant a yellow. And I think um, maybe the Swedish were just trying to get in the referee's head.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yellow, for me, the right call, too. There was another defender back with Posh as they sort of tangled arms going through with Alexander Isak. Uh, Isak tumbled to the ground. Um, yeah, Posh had cover, and also it would have been a chance for Isak, but there's no guarantee he would have got onto the end of the ball, actually, as well. So although it was a goal-scoring opportunity of some sense, it wasn't like a definite goal or a definite one-on-one that Austria were preventing. And That was probably the best moment for Sweden in the first half. Uh, as we said, yes, definitely trying to get into the referee's head. And then in the second half, they were using the tactic of kind of Going down, I felt like every time they were trying to break away from defence, they would just hit the ground very quickly and they knew they'd win the cheap free kick there and kind of try and take a bit of momentum away from Austria. But credit to them, Austria came out where they left off in the second half, kept just plugging away more and more and more saves. I counted three of which two were very decent stops from Robin Olsen in the Sweden goal within the first uh, about 150 seconds or something after the, the restart. So it was furious stuff from Austria. Again, they went quiet for a little bit, but they came back when they needed it the most and they finished the game very very strongly indeed and when eventually baumgartner's goal did come for the first one it was uh, no less than austria had deserved
1: yeah, i have to say this is where a, a reverse commentator's curse came in because i posted on the other bundesliga twitter page that at that point it was the 80, 80th minute and uh, austria had, had 17 shots to uh, sweden's four then what happens? about 60 seconds later uh, christoph baumgartner capitalises on Robin Olsen's first mistake of, uh, of the evening after uh, you know, a wonderful performance of Robin Olsen and just one tiny mistake and it gave Bam Garner enough time to poke home for about a yard out and it sent this stadium into a rapture. It was probably the loudest I've ever heard of the stadium when I go with
0: it. It was a lovely, lovely moment. I have to say it was a forced error as well. Definitely not an unforced error from Robin Olsen. Uh, the excellent Wimmer was removed after leading most of Austria's breakaways and really trying to push the ball forward into the Sweden half and, and pick out a good pass as much as possible. He was taken off. Grilich came on and it was Grilich who fired in a very opportunistic volley. The ball fell to him just outside the D, the kind where the crowd are screaming, shoot. He booted it goalwards, struck it really, really cleanly. It was a powerful strike towards Olsen. Olsen dived down to his right, spilled the ball back across the six yard box. And it was clever play as well from Baumgartner, who still had a lot to do to win that foot race to the ball, managed to get it into a bit of a scramble and knock the ball into the roof of the net from very, very close range. As I said, no less than Austria deserved, but also equally crucial. I was just starting to sort of tally up in my head and say, oh look, Sweden are holding things up now. They're wasting time with substitutions. You can tell Sweden will be happy with a nil-nil draw here, maybe they'll try and nick it on the counter as well and win 1-0. But you can see Sweden was starting to play for a point. And at that point, I was thinking, okay, would we take that? Is that all right? A point away in Belgium and then a point at home against Sweden? It's certainly not a disaster. But as you said, so many shots, so many attacks. Uh, it's really one that would have seemed like a missed opportunity, but... Baumgartner's goal came. But Tom, it wasn't. (laughs) It wasn't a missed opportunity. It it was an opportunity taken. Uh, Sweden didn't really have much in them in terms of a fight back. They did try briefly, but there were only a few minutes left, and it was actually Austria who went and got another goal. And again, it was a rebound from an Olsen spill. If we're going to be harsh to call it a spill, another sort of forced error, I suppose. Uh, Another strong shot and a
1: good save. definitely say a a, a very good save that landed in an
0: unfortunate position. (laughs) Yeah, it's (laughs) clever from Baumgartner, though. It doesn't just happen by accident, does it? Um, he got himself in the right position twice and uh, nodded the second one in 2-0 we could breathe a sigh of relief it was no uh, no risk you know we knew that austria were going to win at that point again the stadium exploded and then it, it was just a celebratory uh, unusually enjoyable and relaxed ending to the qualifier wasn't it
1: yeah it really was i mean um you know we've this is probably personally my fifteenth austria qualifier in the stadium now and um yeah i have to say that the atmosphere for the last 10 minutes there was uh, among the best I've seen in the stadium. There's at the start, a very good feel good factor going around the team, around the squad. And like, you have to, you have to look at the appointment of uh, Ralph Ranić. It's changed everything about this team. It's changed not only how the team played, like having 17 shots against Sweden would never happen under the rank voter. Oh, if we could say his name anymore, it's like he <laughs> can't say his name anymore. And then, yeah, but there's look at the atmosphere here. the Feel good factor in the team. You would see the happy thing for the national team now. It's, uh, it's it's brilliant to watch and this is what the team should have been and could have been for all those years. And now we finally have it and we need to cherish this. But it's a great moment.
0: Yeah, we saw an Austria team push forward for the whole 90 minutes today and they got their rewards. Two goals after the 80th minute shows that they never let their heads drop, they never gave up, they never stayed safe and played for the draw, tried to settle on a nil-nil, anything like that. And yet we might say that this isn't a classic Sweden team, but Let's remember, they're 10 places higher in the world rankings than Austria. They've got a bit more pedigree in recent years than Austria too, in terms of reaching the latter stages of major tournaments. So although, uh, yes, it's not a classic Sweden team necessarily, um, they're two teams that on paper you'd say are pretty even. And uh, Sweden certainly do have some quality about them. They're a dangerous team in their own right, even if they're not at the very best that they've ever been. But Austria has still got to go out there and win. And any win against Sweden is an important one and an impressive one in its own way. And I think Sweden in the past have been kind of a a bit of a barometer. Austria tend to kind of qualify if they beat Sweden and not qualify if they don't beat Sweden. And of course, they've got another game coming up away, but now they've left themselves in an amazing position in the group, haven't they?
1: Yeah, they really have. Uh, After four games, top of the group. Of course, the rest of the group have only, only played three games, but I'm just happy that we're top of the group. Uh, after four games, and we're in a great position. And more importantly, now seven points above Sweden. Only the top two go through, and that's it. I mean, if, if Sweden win their game in hand, then it's four points, but still a four-point a four head start over Sweden now, uh, with, 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 with half of the games played. So. Yeah, wonderful stuff from, from Austria.
0: Very much in Austria's hands now. And you're right to say Rangnick's changed everything. Not just this feel-good factor that he's brought back, but he even got rid of, Simon, the uh, Radetsky Marsh before <laughs> the game. You know, the, This is a, a famous thing that's always played. You'll have heard it before if, if you uh, if you don't know it, if you're not from Austria and you don't know the song. I'm sure you've, you've seen us posting videos of everybody waving their Austria flags before the game. And uh, Rangnick wanted to get rid of that and change the anthem that's played when a goal goes in as well. <laughs> Changing everything from, from, at every level.
1: I was here in the ground about an hour before kickoff, and I, I didn't really realise that I didn't play the Rodetsky March uh, until we were discussing it during the first half. But yeah, I mean, it seems to me that he wants to make going to an Austria game to be a really contemporary, fun, fan, fan-engaging fan experience. And, you know, I'm all aboard on that. As long as as long as long they keep I am from Austria, I'm happy. And thankfully they played that tonight, and the fans love it. I love it. That's great. Right. <laughs> you can't
0: get rid of I am from Austria. Uh, we'll sign off from the Ernst Stadium and go back to the other Bundesliga studio as it were but it's uh, finished a very very enjoyable evening here beautiful summer conditions a couple of beers to consume ahead of us now Austria 2 Sweden 0 Austria not quite on the verge of qualifying for Germany but those dreams of going to Euro 2024 in Germany are are looking a little bit more realistic or maybe even a lot more realistic after this win and we so love to be there in a neighboring country for a proper Euros that would be amazing
1: (laughs) yeah well, what a wonderful summer it would be, but let's not get too ahead of ourselves. There's still many tough games coming.
0: So uh, half a day on or a day on from Austria to Sweden nil. Do you have anything to add? Uh, has anything uh, ruminated since <laughs> since yesterday uh, when the game was played? Uh, you mentioned something to me actually about where you were when when Marco Arnautovic was was introduced as the halftime substitute. <laughs> I thought <laughs> yeah. that was a nice.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, Anatovic came on at halftime as a sub and I was in the toilet at the time. And uh, when Anatovic was announced over the speakers, it was so loud. And it felt like the, the toilet was, was it shaking a little bit. <laughs> Which, so Anatovic <laughs> came to this, a rapturous ovation. Like really, you can't describe how popular he is with the Austria fans at the moment. And yeah, I was having a good time in the toilet, you know. <laughs> but no, it was, it was pretty funny.
0: People say, you know, you can tell how, how well Austria are playing based on the attendances <laughs> of the Ernst Happel And I know that's true sort of for every nation, really. But it is it's very direct with Austria, isn't it? You know, it can be pretty grim attendance-wise. And that's that kind of big, the big like bowl, or the big oval stadium where you're quite far away and it feels very empty when it's empty. But to its credit, it, it does feel very busy and, and very exciting when it's full.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, the atmosphere yesterday, I think we mentioned it in the recording then, it was sensational. It was the best atmosphere that that personally I've seen at the Ernst Apple Stadion. And um, yeah, really, you could feel the feel-good factor going around the Austria camp at the moment and Austria fans. There really is, they truly believe in their team and they believe in their manager as well, which is something that, you know... um, it wasn't happening in the past. Uh, you only have to look back, like, 15 months ago, Frankfurt's last game at the Ernst Stadion, 6,500 fans, uh, h- half of which were supporters of the opposition, so, like, 3,000 home fans, and compare that to yesterday, and it's just remarkable. I don't think there's been more of a turnaround. I know, on paper, Austria qualified for the Euros and whatever, and, you know, on paper, it, lo- it, it looks okay, but the, the the feel around the team was so low i don't think there's been a team across europe over the last 15 16 months who've had more of a turnaround than yosha national team
0: well uh, scotland fans might have something to argue with you on that but scotland, scotland as well <laughs> yeah exactly
1: yeah, it's quite funny because the day with the opponents two countries that played in an empty stadium 15 months ago are now top of their groups <laughs> playing wonderful football,
0: incredible stuff to see.
1: <laughs> and and uh, makes Tom Midler very I, happy. I can't believe what's <laughs> going on
0: in these Euro 2024 qualifiers right now. Um, One of the points that I wanted to bring up the day after is, you know, it, it was a brilliant occasion at the Anzitapo Stadion, would you hope that it's one of the last, you know, great occasions at the Stadium. Is it time to get rid of it? When you see Baumgartner getting these these important goals and sealing it for Austria and then, you know, the players have to sort of vault over the hoardings, which I kind of love. There's a, there's a football purist in me that loves a good vault over the hoardings. Yeah. But then when you go behind the hoardings, then they have to run on a good like 10, 15, 20 yards further forward. And then there's sort of a bank of photographers and stuff that they can't really get past. And then the, the crowd, the sort of ultras Austria end, are still really far away, or you know, a bit closer. So, but the, the players yeah. are having to like vault over the stands and like beckon other players to come over their advertising hoardings and stuff. It's like, it's, it's so far, it's such a, such a sort of a dampener, isn't it, in a way? Although it looks very cool in the photos afterwards, of course.
1: Yeah, I think um, this could be a whole podcast about the future of the stadium because, you know, it's a stadium that w- w- was renovated for, for Euro 2008. And, you know, looking back at articles uh, where when it's getting renovated, they're like, why are we renovating it? And frankly, considering like 2008, some of the stadiums that are being constru- constructed, it wasn't renovated that well <laughs> because like there, there, there are certain things it doesn't have. It doesn't have a concourse, um, which is a, a major thing for me. It doesn't have a concourse. So there's a queues for drinks take ages and ages and ages. It's just old. It's worn down, which is weird considering the fact it was renovated only 15 years ago. But then again, the atmosphere yesterday was fantastic. It has a lot of history, but you know, you look at other capital cities close to Vienna, Budapest, for example. Budapest have this beautiful new stadium, seventy thousand seats, and you know, there's no reason why Austria can't have something like that. But I mean, there are reasons because there needs to be political will, and the city of Vienna has to, you know, uh, push it forward because because the stadium is owned by the city, so there's all of that. But you know, I really think. People are going to have to start looking inwards and thinking, why does Vienna, this beautiful city, one of the best cities in the world, has a stadium that now, in terms of, of, of like Western European national stadiums, is probably the worst.
0: It reminds me in a way of the Merkur Arena in Graz, um, not in terms yeah. of the stadium itself, but in terms of the fact that it's badly in need of replacing, really, but it's sort of just good enough If you do it sort of point by point in terms of what it's got and the capacity that it allows and the demand for football in that city, it's just, it's enough that you can put it off and you can say, yeah, it's it's not, we do need a new one, but it's not urgent because there is one there right now and it works. And I think that sort of has it sliding down the priorities list really. But yeah, maybe it will be replaced. It's, It's, you know, it's been a theme for so long now. I mean, at some point it will happen for now, no plans for it. In any case, we love to be able to enjoy those kind of evenings at the Ernst Tapos Stadion. Um, I was just amazed really to see. You know, it was so refreshing to see Austria on the offensive for 90 minutes, basically, against a side as big as Sweden. And even at nil-nil, I felt like it wasn't one of those games where there's no ideas or no creativity. They were just lacking the actual goal. And you, you talked about the beer queues being really, really long. That did sort of flash across my mind because I think for the first time ever at the Ernst stadion yesterday, I saw beers being thrown in the air. Not many, I'll say, but a few beers were thrown in the air at the Baumgartner goal. And I think that's a, that's a good uh, sort of estimation of the, the pressure release that that was when it was nil, nil and Austria were trying so hard and shooting so many times at the palms of Olsen. And then when that goal finally went in, beers went up in the air and you think, oh, that, that does take a long time to go and get one of those here.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> Is it yeah. worth it? Yeah. Well, I can tell you the last time I, I was a fan at the uh, Sapple Stadion, I queued for a beer for about 25 minutes. So yeah, I imagined last night might have been a similar amount yeah it's just they cost plenty.
0: 550 as well yeah 550 five,
1: five, five 50. yeah 550 for a beer that's, gone up. I mean, that's yeah. not what it
0: was last time i was there
1: yeah yeah and it's Otterkringer as well i mean we could have a whole podcast about our favorite beers as well tom so <laughs> Kringer, We could, and it's in the middle we should me. we should <laughs> we should i mean it's, it's the end of the season though we should have a podcast ranking our favorite austrian beers
0: from from beers to the, the big winners and losers perhaps in this international window for austria four points pretty much just what we were hoping for but which players uh, are sort of at the top there in terms of coming out of this in, a good, in um, a good way
1: so i mean he didn't have too much to do over the two games but when he was called into action he performed as alexander schlager of course the, the austria goalkeeper position has has been in flux really for the last like three or four years and uh, Alex Schlager, of course, the, the brand new goalkeeper at Red Bull Salzburg, where, where he might be second choice. Uh, we, we don't know yet. He really had two, two quality games. In the game against Sweden, he made a sensational save uh, early in the first half. And, yeah, I think, you know, if, if you... Play two games like that, and you, and you come away with, with with any credit. I think Alex Schlager has done yeah a wonderful job, and I think if you're if you're an now you think well that's our, our, our Austria's number one sorted for the, for the time being at least
0: yeah of course heinz lindner uh, unfortunately missing out with his mm-hmm. cancer diagnosis so it goes without saying that we wish him all the best um schlager's come in for this window as you said there's been a debate over the number one in the austria goal for so long now and it's it's never really been fixed there is no set number one but i thought schlager looked like he was just getting set you know getting settled in a bit against belgium he had a good game it was it was solid but i thought at first especially in the first half you could see a little bit of nerves there you could tell that it wasn't a, a trusted number one necessarily in goal but then by the sweden game as you say, he produced some fantastic stops, uh, a couple of reflex saves, some good dives download to get down quickly into the corners and stuff. I think he did really well. And that was nice to see, of course, with the Austrian Bundesliga bonus as well. It's nice to see uh, an Austrian Bundesliga player uh, performing well for the national team. I thought, Gregoric, as we said, could have used that goal against Belgium. But <laughs> I find Gregoric is an interesting one. He started up front in both games. He was the outlet very, very often in both games as well. When Austria went forward, the ball so often gets to him, which is sort of a testament to his qualities, but he doesn't quite get, get the goals. Um, despite sort of creating a lot Grilich came on. I thought he was very good Wimmer, yeah. I mentioned in the recording Vimmer had two, two times one hour. And I thought he was really good in both in Vienna as well. I've got a couple on the negative sides but is there anyone for you who maybe won't be quite as happy as everybody else after this
1: um well i would say it, it was really junior Adam's time to shine i think there were a couple chances that he missed and he was offside many many times it's a shame but obviously he's only 22 years old he has time to you know become the striker he will become but uh yeah i think he'll be disappointed with his international campaign Maybe if you're Ralph Ranick, looking at the end of that break, maybe you think uh, you start with Alan Altovich in the next tie.
0: Yeah, I think you're right to say it was his time to shine. It's not that he did really badly. It was just that it was his time to shine, and he didn't exactly shine. And when you're the sort of focal point of that attack, and he's got all this pace, um, had a couple of sort of eye-catching chances that didn't go in. Yes, and they were offside too for a couple of them. I, I think he, he sort of stood out as the... As, as an issue, really, maybe more than he actually was when, you know, Austria are hammering on the door time and time again and not scoring. It sort of looks like he's the issue. And then, of course, it, it was compounded in a way. Not that he'll be sad, but uh, Austria went on to win it after he'd come off. So it sort of makes it look even worse. But yeah, Adamu, plenty of time in the future.
1: I mean, I find it quite funny how we've uh spoken about the positive players. don't mentioned the, the, the player who scored twice. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think Palm Gartner has definitely showed that he's one of the most talented players in this team. And uh, he was in the right place at the right time for, for, for both of those goals. And yeah, he, he was brilliant in both of those games. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just reading an article now and apparently over the international break, he was ranked second across the best players in Europe over the international break. I will find out who was number one, you.
0: <laughs> he's now one of only two players, I believe in Euro 2024 qualifying, who's registered both two goals and two assists. So I know there haven't been that many games played, but still that's ah, okay. decent, okay. isn't it? Okay,
1: well, do you want to know who's number one? <laughs> Robin Olsen was ranked as the as the best player over the international <laughs> break, which kind of sums uh, it up really. Lot. So so the the, the, yeah. two, the two players involved at the, at the crux moments of, of those games were the two best performers in recent matches over the international break. So, yeah, a shout out to Robin Olsen again, just a wonderful, a wonderful performance. and And I really thought, you know, Watching the game as an Everton fan, knowing that he was uh, formerly Everton's number two, I thought, it's happening again, isn't it? <laughs> but particularly after Romney Lukaku scored for, for for Belgium on Saturday, I was like, here comes another former Everton player to, <laughs> to, to to take away the points from Austria. But yeah, ended up winning 2-0, so we're, we're all happy.
0: It would be very you, wouldn't it? Actually, a Coventry man, Guckeles, came on at the end for Sweden and had a run and shot at 1-0. Never mind. Anyway, Austria (laughs) went on to win it 2-0. I was just disappointed that Sakaria wasn't even on the bench against Sweden and Schnegg didn't come on. So just my my Austrian Bundesliga side is a bit, uh, a little bit sad about that. But I mean, I can't complain, of course, with the the games and the results. It's just, you just want to see those players playing. And Sabitzer, a lot of people are questioning why Sabitzer didn't start, uh, substitute appearances only. But... Disregarding all of that, it's a great position that Austria have left themselves in. How much would it mean for Austria to be, or, or in fact, not to manage to be in Germany next summer? You know, it, it would feel like a big loss, wouldn't it, to to have this massive football party just over the border?
1: It'd feel like a collapse at this point. Um, you know, um, I don't know what the percentages are, but I imagine Austria qualifying is probably now eighty, eighty-five percent, for sure, which is quite high, <laughs> and we shouldn't take it for granted. Four very, very important games to come. The fact that the party is hosted by Germany, which is quite funny, because Germany had a terrible international break, and here comes a team who have a German manager, German-speaking, playing wonderful football. It's everything Germany fans wanted. So, I think Tom <laughs> mentioned that we should try to try and advertise to to German fans before if Austria qualify, of course. We're, we're not, you know, if they qualify, we should advertise that hey, here's a, here's a team to support. So maybe Austria might have a lot of support. In, uh, in, in in Germany next summer if they qualify.
0: 85% chance. I think that, that's a bit higher than I would have rated it. Uh, I think maybe Scotland have an 85% chance now with four wins from four. But I think Austria are edging close towards it, but I, I'm not sure they're that far in. And the main reason I say that is because in a few months' time, which will come around very, very quickly, they've got the second in essentially like a long a long term double header against sweden because they go away to sweden next and then i believe they put belgium at home after that so it's it's a very tough four game run this and austria have taken four points from the first two i just think they need to get something it wouldn't be a disaster if austria lose at home to belgium but they need to get something from sweden still i think to sort of to start really thinking about germany
1: well if austria win in sweden i would say almost 100% qualified. Then Um, it's in the bag
0: for me. Then it's in the bag. I I win
1: in in Sweden in September and it's sorted. The the home game against Belgium, obviously uh, an opponent with all the superstars come into town. It's going to be quite an occasion. And uh, I mean, depending on on, uh, how the group's looking, if Austria beat Sweden, I don't know if my maths are off here, but maybe they can qualify if they beat Belgium. But yeah, that's thinking too far.
0: I'm sure they could by then. If, you know, if I I'd say I would take a point in Sweden, I'm not going to lie. I'll take a point in Sweden. If Sweden can't, you know, can't close the gap on Austria very, very soon. Time's just going to run out for them.
1: Yeah, of course, Tom, but this is an Austria team who are in fantastic form. They are now unbeaten in six games. They've won five of those. So, you know, I mean, uh, uh, cautiously optimistic, I would say for, for those two games coming up. Uh, it's quite, a, it's quite a way away at this point, three, four months away, but yeah, I'm quite optimistic.
0: I swear it's going to come around quicker than we think. Um, I think that's it for the international side of things. As you say, September, October, the next couple of games. So uh, we'll have to wait until after the summer. We can enjoy the summer first. We can enjoy a little bit of a break and some uh, European qualifiers uh, of the other sense, the UEFA club qualifiers before we get back to international football. We are looking forward to that though, with Austria, obviously sitting pretty in their group, it's a a much more enticing prospect coming back to those games with a bit of positivity. But uh, just before we wrap up for this podcast, a tiny bit of news before um, we finish, a tiny bit of news that came in the day after Austria against Sweden, Austria Vienna now know their conference league uh, second round qualifying opponents, Borac Banja Luka of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Not not too terrible as as draws go. Certainly geography wise, anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean there were some potential horrible away trips to either Kazakhstan or the Faroe Islands or Iceland or Finland. So I think having
0: not horrible, just really yeah, long. Yeah,
1: just long. Yeah, I mean obviously as people who 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 love. You know, we love the Faroe Islands and Kazakhstan. It's like, it'd be cool to see austria Vienna play there. But if you're austria Vienna having a team which is only uh, a six-hour drive away, so you can imagine that the players might use the team coach rather than flying. You know, it's, uh, for a European away they definitely quite fun. That's closer than
0: Altac and Lustenau in the Bundesliga. Tri-
1: that's, yeah, that's quite true actually. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 that's <laughs> it's one, a six-hour drive. It one.
0: takes less time than Altac and Lustenau. Uh, that's
1: one for the sweeper pod. That I think. Uh, how how many <laughs> how many ties in uh, European qualifying have uh, a team travelling to another team, but actually in, in their same domestic league? there's longer trips. That, they, they're quite a funny thing to, to work out. But yeah, it's only six six-hour drive away, and uh, it's the team that finished second in the. Uh, Bosnian Premier League, so you know uh, it, it'd be quite a, a, a tough game, particularly as it's the first game back, and Austria Vienna have fell at this stage before in the past. But yeah, I think it's quite exciting actually, and uh, we've already looked at maybe potentially heading down there. I don't know, maybe I don't know, Tom. Potentially, did you fancy it?
0: Would love to, would love to if we can. And I did notice that uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina got done by Luxembourg at home, so. If that's an indication of how strong the Bosnian league is right now, then maybe it's uh, a bit of hope for Austria-Vienna as well.
1: Yeah, potentially, of course. I mean, you can only, we can only find out on the, uh, when the, the tie happens, and that's in the Generale Arena on July 27th, and then in Bosnia on August 3rd. So keep that in your calendars. The good thing for Austria is that they will have competitive football uh, before then, because they see Austrian Cup first round on the weekend of July 21st to 23rd. So Austria-Vienna will have played a game before that. So I think they're, they're, they'll be grateful for whichever random village team they draw in the OFV Cup first round.
0: All right. Very much looking forward to that. And um, We'll leave it there for this week's other Bundesliga podcast. We'll be back in uh, the very near future with some transfer talk from the Austrian Bundesliga and anything else that may happen in the meantime. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please consider leaving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. That's extremely helpful to us. We also have a Patreon page if you wish to chip in a few euro each month to help us out. That's over at patreon.com forward slash other Special thanks go to Gabriel Geber at Torn Gaber Studios for this lovely music and also to the Gentleman Creatives for their other Bundesliga logo artwork.